Hi, I'm Shane Twist and welcome to Behind the Beef, a podcast that gives you a look behind the scenes and into the everyday activities of the people behind the beef. In today's episode, we will be speaking to two people positioned at two different parts of the beef supply chain. We have had the opportunity to speak to Libby Thompson from Wyala Beef and celebrity chef Fast Ed. Both of our guests are involved heavily in the beef supply chain and with the Angus breed in their roles, however ultimately are at two different ends of the supply chain, with Libby working towards the top end of the chain and Fast Ed further down in his role in preparing the product and feeding the ultimate end, our consumers. Libby and Fast Ed shared with us the story about how they got to be where they are in the industry today and some background information in the role that they play within the beef supply chain. When we caught up with Libby and Fast Ed, they were joining Angus Australia at the 2022 NH Foods Australia Angus Youth National Roundup, where they spent time providing information sessions to the young attendees, exposing them to the various parts of the beef supply chain. Considering this, following my interview with Fast Ed, you will hear a little moment from his session where he shared some sage advice to a young member of his audience, advice which I think many of our listeners would appreciate. So let's jump into the episode now. So, Libby, thank you for joining us and having a chat with us today. It's all right. Can you just introduce yourself and your role at Wyala Beef? My name is Libby Thompson and I'm the supply chain coordinator at Wyala Beef. And I've been at Wyala for about 18 months. So, yeah. So what encompasses in your role? I am a jack of all trades, uh, predominantly in the supply um, section of the business and I help the buyers, but I also look after our backgrounding part of the business where we go and buy younger cattle, we background them until we bring them in mid-year. Uh, I look, I'm starting to look after all the Wagyu supply or helping with that. Uh, I help the buyers with many things. Yeah, I'm my jack of all trades, get get thrown Definitely lots of... Definitely a people person, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, have to be like that in the supply yeah. area, yeah. So you're based up at Texas. I am, yeah. At the feedlot there. So how, how big's the feedlot? We are licensed for 75,000 head capacity. At any given time, we've got 50 to 60,000 head on feed. We are all Angus other than a small portion of Wagyu. Uh, so we've been feeding all Angus for a few years now. And uh, yeah, so it's quite a big operation. Yes, I can imagine. Mm. So why Angus? Why the drive into the Angus breed? 100% would be consistency. Yeah. Consistency of feeding, consistency of supply, but also which the whole reason that you feed cattle is for end product being meat. So the consistency of the beef that you get is just no other. So that's why we are all Angus. Great. So in terms for, I guess, for a consumer perspective, if they're listening to us, where does Wyala Beef fit into the supply chain to that end product? Wyala Beef, we are the feedlot. So we will buy in the cattle and we feed them for however many days that the product that the products that we're selling and we're feeding for and then they will go into the processing part of a supply chain so we are the first step of, of feeding those cattle and caring for them for the first 100 to 200 days we do a few different feeding regimes in days and, can, and 
what products that we do sell, but the main product line for Wyala or the NH Foods is Angus Reserve. It would be our biggest. Yeah, and how long is the feeding regime for that program? Our Angus Reserve feeding is 150 days. How did you fall into this career, I guess you could say? I'm a local girl to the area, to, to Texas, uh, but I have been working away for a little while. So prior to that, I was in live export. And it's a very different part of the beef supply chain. It's very niche. It's very tailored to the top end of Australia, other than the breeding um, in the southern part of Australia. But I just wanted to do something different and I wanted to do um, work in an area that's more domestic supply and learn everything that's got to do with that. And feedlotting, not only was it in the area that I'm from and I wanted to move home, it's a massive part of the Australian beef industry and I really wanted to get into that and to learn about that and to see what doors that opened, but also meet the people in it. So yeah, that's why I went the feedlotting avenue. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty of good characters mm. in that avenue Yeah, as well. it's fantastic, yeah. So you're here with us with NH Foods at the Angus Youth National Roundup. Mm. What's the benefit of seeing events like this for the younger generation coming into the industry that you love? It's, it gives, I think, the kids purpose and the ability to see what happens, like the bigger, the bigger picture from, the, from a supply chain point of view. It's not just breeding and caring for those animals. It, it's giving them a, a point of view that there is a purpose as to why we breed these animals and that's in the end is to feed people. So I think it's very important that kids um, and everyone has that understanding and that when they're making choices for breeding cattle that they understand at some point they're going to have to be sold and what is that person or what is that company looking for in that animal? Um, what, what traits are they looking for? What are they going to be doing with them? Um, so, so I think it's very important that kids need to understand that from the very get-go. Yeah. And yeah. Because they're consumers at the end of the day. They, well, they are. They, yeah. they are. Yeah. It gives that traceability yeah. back for yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, their families will teach them that. That, that we I got taught that. Yeah. So, but I think you know it's it's good to put a face to that part of the supply chain too, and so kids can see, oh yeah, there's these other you know big companies out there that yeah. that look after the cattle for the next step, and then they process them, and then they, we sell them, and it, and we feed people, and our beef goes all over the world. So yeah, that that bigger picture I think is really important. Yeah. How do you have your steak? Medium, medium. Yeah. I used to be medium well, but you know, you get older, and I've just gone medium. Yeah, plenty of salt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is a popular one. Everyone's like, yeah. you need to add salt. You do. You don't know the imp like the difference if you don't add salt. I think salt it just on side yeah for me. brings um brings the flavour out. Yeah. Well, Libby, thank you very much for joining us and giving us a little bit of insight into yourself, your role in the industry and what you're doing here today. So thank you. Not a you. problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. That's all right. Well, hello, Ed. Oh, you're joining hello, the Australian <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Threw you in the deep end a little bit here. But um, welcome. Thanks for Thanks, joining mate. us. Are you welcoming, welcoming my, my erstwhile friend here? For those of you listening, right behind me, I've got a beautiful young Angus carp. I reckon she couldn't be more than six or seven no, months. She's, she's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Making me feel very much at home. In <laughs> fact, leaning on this fence with a cow behind me, I'm very much the cowboy. Oh, well, city cowboy, but I think you get it. Yeah, yeah. Concrete <laughs> cowboy, I think they like to call Oh, them. very good. I need to get a Land Rover. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I guess to start off, you're obviously Fast Ed. That's how many people know you. How mm -hmm. did you get the name Fast Ed? A lot of people have been asking us today. Yeah, well, that was an ex-girlfriend of mine. That relationship didn't work out. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a joke! <laughs> I was on a slow to medium pace. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's really about my, what my fundamental values are when it comes to cookery, which is that... Um, I've spent most of my career working in three chefs at restaurants here in Australia, owned a two chefs at one. I worked in two and three Michelin star restaurants overseas. But my real love is helping uh, everyday families to cook better food within the limited time that we all have available. And it was kind of a snappy way of just summarising all of that. Cool. So how did you become a chef? How did you become or take that career path? Well, as far as the, the cookery was concerned, um, I was what they refer to in the business as a bit of a loose unit when I was a child. Uh, not really the best behaved teenager. Uh, I went to a whole bunch of high schools because we uh, fairly continually came to the, the conclusion that I would be better off not in their, uh, their company. Uh, long way of saying kids, I got expelled a whole lot of times. And so when I was 14, my father said to me, um, uh, have you got a bike? I said, yeah, he said, wonderful, go for a ride. Excellent. Uh, and don't come home till you've got a job. And so I did, I got a job. Originally as a kitchen hand, but within a couple of months I'd started being a chef's assistant and started to cook. And I fell in love with this thing. Um, I actually ended up doing quite well at school. Uh, and I started a law degree at Sydney Uni, which um, I really hated. Uh, I'm not, I, know this, I, I didn't hate the intellectual side of it, I loved the intellectual side, but I didn't want to spend my life in a law office surrounded by lawyers when I loved being in a kitchen surrounded by chefs so much. So I threw in the towel there, so to speak, and picked up the tea towel and yeah, nice. never looked back. Yes, it's always good to do something that you love. Mm, indeed. So what's your favourite cut of meat then? Angus beef, I should say. Oh, there's a leading question. Angus beef, the only beef that every Australian yeah, should love. Yeah, I was about to ask yeah. them, why Angus beef? Why does everybody love Angus beef so much? Well, there's from a couple a chef's of, perspective. From a chef's perspective, well, the, I can't only put on my chef's hat because I also have the, uh, the uh, unlosable hat of telling stories for a living. <laughs> and the first thing I'll say is that one thing that Angus Australia has done so very well is to build a brand. And for those of you who don't think that brands matter, I would suggest that you haven't really looked at the, the rule book yet. Brands do matter because the thing that we pay attention to are the things we feel are reliable, the things we think are trustworthy, and the things that we think will meet our expectations. And when you look at when the first brands came to exist, this was in the 1890s, brands like Kellogg's and Heinz and uh, McCain's, these brands came into existence because at the time, there was so much inconsistency in what people could buy to eat at home. And there were real issues of food poisoning, particularly amongst the first manufacturers. And so these brands had wonderful recognition because they were reliable and trustworthy. And that's precisely what Angus has pursued. Angus beef is predictable. Um, they've, they've got this wonderful set of, of producers around Australia who do a good job. But more importantly, the genetics has been carefully maintained. It's been improved over these. You couldn't say it's the same Angus you had in the early 1800s when the breed was first recognised. Yeah. But what you've got here now is an extraordinary Angus breed. And it's, it's very carefully maintained and protected. So I've got a huge amount of respect for that. The other thing, of course, is the eating quality. I like marbling, but I don't want too much. For starters, I don't like paying for fat. Uh, I don't want to pay for a beer, but I don't want to pay for a whole plate full of fat. There is a point where you can say, you know, a, a little shaving of some really incredible, you know, marble score nine wagyu, is, it's great. 
But that's a special occasion cut. What you want on a daily basis, on a regular basis, is something that has that combination of extraordinary flavour developed through grass uh, pasturing, but then also the tenderness and the intramuscular marbling you get from um, uh, feedlot finishing. And you know, Australia has a worldwide reputation for doing this brilliantly. There's a lot of other places in the world who reckon that they, they do it well, but having seen feedlots and operations in North America, in Canada, uh, in Europe, in the UK, no one matches Australia both for quality of operation, but also for quality of outcome, as well as quality of animal husbandry. Our respect for animals is second to none. Yeah. So you're here as a brand partner, NH Foods Australia Angus Reserve. <laughs> oh, okay. You got one in for me as well saying Angus Reserve. Yes. So what was I saying Angus Reserve? That's seven between us. <laughs> I think that's the promotion done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you're doing here at the Roundup event? Oh, look, there's a few things. Uh, first and foremost, I really hope to be able to inspire some of these incredible young people to uh, think about not only what the... Uh, breeding, rearing, showing, judging, management of cattle is all about. Because that is really important, particularly if you go into a farming world. But you always need to remember that the end user is not the farmer. The end user is not the chef. The end user is the consumer. Yeah. And so it's a matter of keeping in mind what are you doing and why are you doing it. And so I want to talk to them a little bit about um, how their work on farm translates to happy customers which hopefully inspires them. I want to share some information, some knowledge about the difference between your primary and secondary cuts of meat and how that makes such a fundamental difference to what we do. Um, why you can grill some, you have to slow cook others. Uh, we're going to talk about how muscle fibres are made. Yes, there's going to be science for six-year-olds. And the, this is the, I'll tell you something, I do this regularly with, with school kids. Kids are good with science. I think too many people don't have enough respect for how much kids can learn and cope with. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm going to go pretty deep on that. And I guess the other thing is to show them a delicious dish and give them some dinner. Well, I mean, a new survey from Meat and Livestock Australia shows that the majority of Australians feel good about the red meat industry and want to learn more. So it's probably a good time to start when they're so young. I would love to know what the question base for that was. <laughs> I suspect it may have been a little leading, but I'm sure the answer is also correct nonetheless. Yeah. Um, you know, if the question is, so do you feel good, great or extremely great about that? No. <laughs> um, the red meat industry here in Australia is doing incredible things. Um, you know, if you want to talk about the ups and downs over the last five years, uh, the ups have been the... The ups have been the, uh, the continuation of incredible quality, um, the supply to market, uh, and people's greater education about what the processes are, and not to mention, you know, building more of an export market. The downside for consumers, of course, has been price, and we can't hide that, you know. Um, it, with ever-increasing exports around the world, yes, the price of beef has been rising. But what I would say to Australians more generally is that just because the price is higher doesn't mean you should be worried about your beef consumption. What it means is that you should start to get uh, more clever about which cuts you can use and that means learning how to use them. And equally importantly, look, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble or not, I hope not. If a 300 gram steak costs more than you want to spend on it, eat a 200 gram steak or a 150. The point isn't to make sure that your entire plate is covered in dead cow. It's not about that. It's about ensuring you can eat really good Australian beef, cooked properly, at a price that works for you. One of the sessions that you're doing with the guys today is about cuts and 
carcass usage. Is that something that consumers probably are expecting in the space of sustainability these days? Has it been a pushback in the industry about that sort of thing? I don't know if there's been pushback because if anything, butchers are making more and more money out of this. I guess from the consumer perspective as well. Pushback from the consumers? Not that I'm aware of, actually. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing, of course, is you know, let, let's, let's see a butcher shop in the olden days. Uh, porterhouse, good. Ribeye, good. Rump, good. Fillet, good. Hmm. Mince, 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 mince. When you want secondary cuts like, you know, skirt steaks, inside skirt, um, hanger steaks, um, uh, pillow steaks, there's a lot more involved in the, in the butchery there, which is time, which is cost. But consumers in most places are prepared to pay for that. Uh, what's happened though is that these things would normally be taken off as a job lot and put through a mincer now are being processed. And so that does yield a higher unit cost. The butchers are doing really well out of this. I'm so happy for them. Uh, look, one thing I would say to Australians is go and support your local butcher. In the mid 1980s, Australia had 36,000 butcher shops. Uh, as of a few years ago, there was just shy of 3,000. We'd lost 93, I think, percent of all the butcher shops in Australia uh, in 45 years. Now, if that doesn't make you sad, I think your tear ducts are blocked. If it doesn't make you angry, your meds are working. Because, quite frankly, you should be angry about that. And you should be asking, who the hell is responsible for this situation? And the answer is, you are. And you'll tell me, no, I'm not. I'm, yeah, you are. Because where you choose to spend your money is what determines what's available on market. If you want to have butcher shops, that's where you need to buy your meat. And that's where you'll find the skill to be able to get things like hanger steaks butchered out because for the most part, your large big box retailers are not going to bother. Do I think there's a place for that? Yes. Do I think consumers get more out of it? Yes. Do I think that some consumers look at some of these cuts and go, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Sure they do. And that's why it's for people like myself to try and help make it a little bit more accessible. Please keep in mind, not everybody drives an Audi. Not everybody owns a boat. Not everybody has a holiday home. Not everybody plays chess. People are different. Some people want to buy mints every week. That's, and that's okay. You don't have to you know, live your life like you're in an episode of Master... Oh, no, not Master. That's a different, uh, different network. Uh, Better Homes and Gardens. Oh, no, we do that anyway. Hold on. You know what I mean. You're allowed to be you. You're allowed to feel good and respected about the choices that you make within what kind of beef you want to, want to consume. There really is something for everyone. And you want to talk about end-to-end -end, uh, production and nose-to-tail consumption, that's what it's about. It's about providing options for everybody. Yeah, well said. I guess to wrap up the questions, usually we ask pretty much all of our guests, how do you have your steak? But I feel like that might be a little like not deep enough for someone who can actually cook so well. But uh, I guess what's your favourite cut and how's the best way to cook it? It's an interesting question because it makes an assumption about people that you would have a favourite cut. And I'm sure there are people who do, but if you're someone who cooks for a living, uh, you know, that's like asking which one is your favourite child. And it's my son. I'm sorry, Luca, but it is my son. Uh, no, I, I love both my kids equally. Um, you know, I like different cuts at different times. Uh, if you're talking about what I eat on a semi-regular basis, I'm a bit old-fashioned in that way. I, I think Scotch fillet is one of those cuts that will 
really disappoint you. Um, if you're gonna cook scotch fillet, for God's sake, cook it at least to the top end of medium rare. That big fat seam that runs through the middle, if you don't cook it, it doesn't render. If it doesn't render, you are eating meat-flavoured plasticine. And quite frankly, taint good, as they say <laughs> in the old world. Um, but you know, I, I like that cooked to a medium and I think it's fantastic. What, what I'd say, rather than you know, to eat scotch or whatever, I'd say eat a thicker cut bit of meat. For meat to retain its juiciness when you cook it, it's a question of two things, surface area, because it's through surface area that you get evaporation. And the amount of evaporation that takes place is what determines whether or not a steak is juicy. That juiciness is literally just retained meat juices, which by the way is not blood for everyone looking at it. It's not hemoglobin, it's amoglobin. Talk to your local chemistry teacher. Oh no, hold on, they're not chemistry, biology teacher. I didn't do science, people, just relax. Um, about the difference, but it's not blood. Um, but so a thicker cut piece of, piece of meat will always end up juicier. When it comes to something that always makes me feel uh, well-fed, that makes me feel like I'm actually cooking, and makes me feel like I'm getting the sort of flavour that I want, I will almost always go for an inside skirt. The inside skirt is actually the um, diaphragm muscle from, from a, a steer, and it can be a little hard to get. When, when you get it, it's pretty springy, and you're sort of going, oh no, what is this? You want to cook it pretty rare, make sure you've marinated it. It takes on flavour really well. Keep it on the rare to medium rare, no more than that. Slice it really finely. Uh, a really good way to use that actually, because you want it to be really paper thin, just go and get some regular corn tortillas and use a biscuit cutter, like I don't know, 10 centimetres or so, and cut little circles out of that and fry those. That's what's called a tostada as opposed to a tortilla. And then you get the beef, you get any kind of well, slaw or something, you'll work that out. Avocado, if you want. Sour cream, if you want. Uh, cream corn, yeah, yes. Do not call me a bogan. Cream corn <laughs> on tostadas is wicked. Uh, and lots of hot sauce. Really, it's, it's just a great cut. The other one which you really should try at some point in your life is skirt steak, cooked the same way. Delicious. Well, thank you for all those tips for a start. Can I just say one more thing yeah. before we go? Not only uh, full uh, credit to you guys for helping share some, some uh, really great information about Angus as a breed. But to everyone listening who has taken the time, either when shopping or thinking about shopping or starting to cook, just to consider, oh, what, what breed is this? That is 80% of the journey, guys. Because from there, you're going to make your decision about what to do. So all of you, next time you're starting to cook, just think, what am I actually cooking here? It's a good thing to do. What made you different? Like, how did you get on TV to the regular chef? So the, the question was how I ended up uh, as a talking meat puppet. Um, very good question, and I really want to answer this one properly, particularly for you kids who, I don't know, 12 and up particularly, but all of you really. Um, parents, uh, you're too old, it won't help you anymore, you're done. Um, <laughs> might help you. Um, a lot of people used to say to me, uh, I was working at a, a Two Chefs Hat restaurant in Sydney, uh, which I was really enjoying running. Um, and people said to me, oh, you're just in the right place at the right time. Maybe a bit, but I reckon that is missing the most important part of finding any kind of success in life. My attitude is, it's right place, right time, right attitude. Each and every one of you has opportunities put in front of you each and every day. 
The question is, are you able to see it? Do you recognise it? Or does it just pass you by? If you see it, are you prepared to do something about it? If you do something about it, are you prepared to do the hard bits as well as the easy bits? In the end, life, getting, getting ahead in life is not about what you're prepared to do, but it's about what you're prepared to give up. Because you've usually got plenty of choices, but what are you prepared to really work hard for? So when I started working in television, for the first two years, uh, I earned zero dollars. I did it for free. In fact, the first year I paid for the ingredients. I didn't want to be on television, I had no, no interest in it at all, but I knew that it might open some doors for me, I didn't think it would last. But I was prepared to back myself. Um, you had to be able to, I had to be able to see that it was an opportunity, one worth pursuing, and I had to be prepared to, to go after it. Um, you know, eventually the trick is not to make yourself the highest paid person in the room, the trick is to make yourself the most indispensable person in the room. Make sure people really need to have you around and you're never out of a job. Isn't that right, Michael? Are you working towards that? <laughs> but that's really what it comes down to. I mean, all of you coming here for this event, each and every one of you are going to not only learn things, but you're going to meet people. Those relationships could be the difference between uh, your future success or even more success, you know? And that's why you've got to really latch onto what you can learn and make something of it. I really, I wholeheartedly believe in this, um, and I'm pretty sure that for any of you who've taken the time to come all the way down here to Wodonga in your school holidays, rather than hang out at home playing video games, you're seven-eighths of the way there already. So big congratulations from me to you guys. I think it's pretty cool. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in for another one. If you enjoyed this episode, like I've said before, make sure you go and check out the rest of Behind the Beef and all of our recent episodes covering all things Angus. Also, as we draw to the end of the year, please make sure you are checking the Angus Australia website and social media accounts to ensure that you are across any end of year information such as office closures, to ensure that you are prepared for the end of 2022 and the start of the new year. And that's all we have time for. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the podcast and follow Angus Australia and Angus Youth Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again and we'll catch you on the next one.